Thanks for tuning into the Replatform podcast. It's myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. a bit tired after I went to the Suede gig last night in Ali Pali, and it's a long drive, so my eyes are, are kind of partly bleeding today. But apart from that, it's all good. That's right. Yeah, I know I know the feeling. I'm pretty knackered today. But... Yeah. Default state on the Replatform podcast. <laughs> um, cool. Let's, let's set up uh, an introduction to our guest today. Um, uh, and for anyone who's tuning in to, uh, for the first time to the podcast, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, please do subscribe because then you'll get alerts and we do a new episode every week, all things to do with e-commerce, CX and technology. So our topic today is uh, around Maplin's um, technology stack for e-commerce. So Maplin's a much-loved UK brand. It's got an absolutely uh, a crazily large product catalogue, a really diverse audience, actually. Uh, it's a brand I've shot with loads and loads over the years. It's now online only, having shut the stores, and we're going to get under the hood to explore how and why the brand's using Magenta to power its e-commerce operations. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Ollie Marshall. How are you doing? Brilliant. Good Good to meet you. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. This is going to be a really interesting chat for a lot of people because a lot of people will know Maplin as the well, its stores and now it's, it's online only focus. So, And you've got an interesting business model. So before we start asking you annoying questions, can you let people know like what you do and like, how you've come to own the Maplin brand? Yeah, so... As you said, my name's Ollie Marshall. Uh, I'm the managing director of Digital First Retail, and we own and operate two websites, uh, Maplin Electronics um, and Office Outlook. So Maplin, you know, many people know and love the name, um, probably shopped in the stores. Fortunately, I went into administration back in 2018. Um, and coming from my background of supply um, and distribution, um, we basically got ourselves into an opportunity where we could acquire the Maplin Electronics brand. So we bought the brand name um, and the goal was, let's take this thing online only, you know, fundamentally. And this is the same for Office Outlet, actually, as well. Fundamentally, they're fantastic businesses um, in, a, in a great market, in a great category. But, you know, as everyone knows, bricks and mortar, it's a tough business. Um, Maplin had a lot of problems somewhat unique to it but you know timing brexit and all, all the various things that have come with it and then it just wasn't sustainable uh in bricks and mortar and that's that's why it went in the direction it did uh but you know bringing it online um you know we still have the same tagline the electronic specialist office outlet is powering the future of work um we're trying to still fulfill exactly their original premise just online you know with a great customer experience um more products if anything um we are based on a distributed supply chain uh which basically means that we can list a huge number of products which means we can go really specialist something i actually tell my team a lot is i'd rather we stitch together a thousand niches than go after you know the big main mainstream product lines um that you know you could buy anywhere so that's kind of our introduction um me personally, I'm a software developer by trade, uh, so I have very much come from it as an operations and technology um, background. Um, and you know, as we'll talk about a bit later, I'm very into the tech. Right. So um, I'll kind of uh, ask first question. We'll set the screen a little bit. So Ollie and I went for breakfast um, maybe like three months ago, something like that, two, three months ago. Um, and we were just talking about Magento and Ecom generally. And I guess I started the conversation, uh, maybe a little bit of negativity around some of my recent experiences with Magento and some level of frustration, I guess. And you uh, had the opposite view. And, you know, you were pretty positive. 
Um, and I was really impressed with kind of how you've got to the point you've got to with Magento and kind of how you're using the platform. Um, so maybe just to start off with, if you give us a bit of an introduction to your tech stack and how you are using Magento. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, I've come into e-commerce at probably a reasonably good time. Um, so uh, one thing worth saying when you know I kicked off the whole project, which was back in June 2018, we went live in January 2019. Over that six-month period, you know, I, I took a bit of time to one look at what Maplin and Office Outlet had done previously. And, you know, brilliant people there. But legacy is an absolute killer when it comes to technology. Whereas I had the opportunity to really take a look at the market and the landscape and start from fresh. So uh, Magento, as, as you've rightly said, is exactly what we picked. A um, couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, I needed the flexibility of something that I could get under the hood with, uh, customize, but also something that was still, you know, not too bespoke, still a vendor product, and ultimately something that I could get hosted pretty easily. So we work with Magento Cloud. So we use Pass or Magento's platform as a service. So they fully host it on AWS for us. Uh, but still fundamentally, I have a Git repo connected to that environment and I can write whatever PHP, get under the hood, SSH onto the boxes if we need to. So when we stepped into it, we we got onto Magento 2.1, I think. I think 2.2 came out fairly. So, you know, still relatively early, one for Magento 2 and two for Magento Cloud. I think we were one of their very early customers on that. And, you know, we've really seen that platform transform. Um, but my approach has very much been around Technology is a competitive advantage for us as a business. You know, we're multi-brand. Uh, we have lots of products. And therefore, a simple website, um, a D to, dare I say, sort of a more simple D2C website uh, hosted on Shopify just won't allow us to be able to embrace technology as our competitive advantage, basically. So that, as well as I'm a software developer, I can really get under the hood myself. Something like Magento, you know, really gave me that flexibility. So that's, yeah, sorry. And so that's that's sort of the first part of it. That was kind of why I stuck with Magento. Then also, and this sort of comes to the headless and some of the future plans we've got, um, I could also see that Magento was moving in that direction, even though at that time it was still probably too early. Uh, it definitely was too early. But I could see that there was a nice pathway to go from, you know, a monolithic Magento deployment with a theme and, you know, your standard infrastructure onto a PWA and a headless. And, and I can probably speak to about that in a bit. Um, but, yeah, so Magento, you know, it was still a pick that I had to make quite early on and quite quickly. But it has ended up playing out that I'm very positive on it and it has fit, fit within my culture, within my team, within our skills. Um, and ultimately can be our competitive advantage. I do think um, I do think you seem to benefit from, obviously, you're running the company, you're technical by trade, you know, you've been involved with Magento for a while, and I think that probably works to your advantage. And one of the things that impressed me most, I guess, so I always, you know, encourage clients to avoid customizing anything in Magento, I guess, or like, you know, adapting things to how Magento should be used. 
Um, and it feels like you've really adopted that. And, you know, the way that you've kind of taken things out of the platform in certain places, et cetera, I think makes uh, for a better experience. Um, is that something that you've just learned over the years? Or is that something where, you know, you have had pain when you started with Magento? Like, how have you got to that point where I know you kind of, you know, you talked about sticking to Magento checkout, you know, sticking to vanilla Magento as much as humanly possible. Like, yeah, how, how have you kind of ended up doing yeah, I think there's two parts to that answer. So one, referencing, I think I was a bit lucky in terms of timing uh, because when we started, I could see the headless and the PWA approach just coming through. So I knew I wanted a pathway to that, even if it was still a bit early. So I always sort of had this mindset of let's stay as stock as possible because ultimately Magento will become an API to us in that future. So ultimately, I'm, I'm not going to put that down to me being a genius and forecasting the future. It was just kind of there. Um, and then the, the second part of it was when, when we got going, uh, you know, we obviously had to build a retailer from scratch and everything that comes with it, tech, people, products, suppliers, you know, you name it, and I had six months to do it. So as part of our technology, I kind of split it into two areas. Uh, front office and back office. The front office is, you know, what you you guys, particularly in the world you're in, uh, Magento and and the e-commerce platform and the websites and you know some other stuff we use, Signify for fraud, Gorgeous for customer service, Algolia for search. Uh, but then the bigger component actually for us is our back office, which is what manages our supply chain. All of that is bespoken in house, so we use C Sharp. ASP.NET for that type of infrastructure. Uh, and that's really, you know, the, the meaty part of my background. Um, and that basically manages our ability to do about 70% of our orders uh, fulfilled by third parties. So I actually didn't, how, how to word this. So because we had so much to do on that just to get the business going on the back office just to get the business going i had less time to allocate to magento and the front office that is something that we're trying to turn around now and you know there's a lot to improve and and to do going forward on magento and our new pwa site that's coming um but basically we spent more time on the back office which just fundamentally meant i didn't have enough resources to start customizing and going too too deep on magento and that is kind of where we are today. We're really starting to pivot our attention into the front office. Um, and I've just kind of been in a somewhat lucky position in that we haven't overly customized Magento. So you've um, you've built an in-house development team versus using like outsourcing it to agencies, which is the standard. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because um, the standard approach when you've got a short project timeframe and complexity is outsource it, get an agency, they'll do all the development work and heavy lifting. But it feels like you obviously identified the benefit of, of, of building in-house. And what drove that? Was it the back office need that drove it? Or, or was it something else that made you think in-house is a way to go here? So I think because I'm a developer myself, I, I'm just so hugely biased towards doing it myself <laughs> because I want to get in the nitty-gritty. You know, I'm you know, I, I I obviously I'm involved in all areas of the business, marketing, trading, customer services. Yeah, I still do code reviews on a daily day on a daily basis. So, for me, an agency is just 
not particularly a route I want to go down or ever want to go, well, not ever, or wanted to go down at the time just because I don't want to hand it off. One of the, the key reasons for that, I think, though, is because one, I'm technical and can do it in-house, but secondly, we really see our technology as a competitive advantage to us. And therefore, if I just outsource a competitive advantage, that doesn't necessarily make a huge amount of sense. Um, but having said that, we do work with freelancers. So when we, in that June 2018, uh, just after we acquired the name, um, you know, I had a lot to do. So I did actually go out and find uh, a freelancer or a small group of freelancers, actually, uh, run by a guy called Paul Collins of Layer 5 Solutions, really good guy. And I basically could say to him, hey, here are some wireframes, go build. But yeah. I was still part of the code review and the daily check-ins and the weekly check-ins and was involved. So he was kind of a surrogate to the team. That's the word. Uh, an implant, actually, is probably a better word. Uh, an implant to the team, yet he was separate. So I think I found... There, you know, there are that three three ways of doing it in house, in house plus with freelancers and agency, and I think sort of the in house and the in house plus works for me. Um, you know, one mindset thing I think I found with in house versus freelancers is still fundamentally a freelancer can feel like a team member, but equally still feels like they're on their own and they got to self motivate and self manage. Whereas an in-house, I think naturally, you know, being an employee, people fall back on that management structure. So I think depending on the phase of the business, what the task is at hand, how complicated it is, if that project can be boxed off with, you know, set requirements, uh, as the Magento theme was at the time, the the two models are kind of interchangeable for me. A, a, a kind of related question on that is, what what is your internal team? Which skills? One of the challenges I've seen in, in fast growth brands is they want to build out an internal engineering function, but it's a hugely competitive space and getting like lead engineers and having all of the right solutions architecture skills is a real challenge and a cost. So yeah, what I'd love to, to hear what roles do you have in-house versus the the what you've used with freelancers? Yeah, so we're definitely more weighted on the back office, um, because that again is even more so our competitive advantage of our technology than, than maybe the front office. Um, so we're definitely heavier weighted there. We're a development team of five. Um, it really helps that I can take that lead role, um, you know, one from a cost, but also just from a strategy and uh, getting in the weeds. Um, we've started hiring more developers that are slightly more senior, which is great. That definitely takes a bit of the burden off me. Um, but I also do quite like to home grow um, junior developers and, and for good or bad, I have a way of doing things. I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to code bases. So that can slow us down a little bit, but it also can, it can be quite good to train up uh, junior developers and, and get them into a space where, you know, they're highly productive within a few months. So I, I think it, I think it's really dependent on um, what my role is uh and also um yeah how much time i have to put in but to answer your question at the moment we're we're currently of that five three main developers on c sharp one on react um and slash a little bit of the php for magento um really it should be a 50 50 split i think though 
Yeah, so so it sounds like the the the, the initial priority was all the back office stuff. As you said, you built out custom back office for all the supply chain stuff, which is a critical element because if that's not working, it doesn't matter how good the front end is. But yeah, so the balance will change. Interesting. And you said you're on enterprise cloud, and I, I think this is a really nice thing to 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 kind of clarify to people listening. So a lot of people sit there and think, well, hang on a minute, do I need enterprise or could I get the the community and not pay a license fee and use that money? in other areas of the business. So what drove enterprise versus community? Was it, is it the trade, the B2B side, or is that other elements of the benefits of, of enterprise that gave you a good business case? It's a good question. Um, to be honest, are we using a lot of enterprise features? We're not using many at this moment. Staging is a nice one, or scheduling, not essential, but we do use it because we have it. B2B, we're not using... We would like to, but we're not. To be honest, the main reasoning for going enterprise for us was because we wanted to outsource the hosting. So we wanted to use Magento Cloud. And for right or wrong, Magento's internal, the way that, and, and this has probably shifted around in the years, but because uh, I know their strategy is you know, definitely changing a lot of the time and the community um, around community the developer community around community is definitely, you know, up in arms a little bit at the moment. There's changes. Anyway, the, the way I see uh, enterprises, I get it for free because I pay for Magento Cloud and their hosting. So when I went to them and I said, tried it out, I said, I, actually, I want to host it myself. I'm going to, you know, create whatever infrastructure on AWS and do it myself. They said, okay, well, you know, enterprise license happens to be the exact same cost as Magento Cloud. And I went, okay, well, may as well stick with Magento Cloud then. So it depends on the way you look at it. But for right or wrong, Magento is trying to move towards this hosted environment, uh, which just happens to work for us anyway. Um, so I kind of could give or take with the enterprise features, but the hosted and the support is what I'm paying for. And, you know, I think is a is a good offer and a good deal, and and we really like it. And I've I've definitely seen them really up their game over the last two years. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Uh, so Pim and Aquino, and again, it's another a good example of where you've taken something out of Magento, which gives you a bit more freedom. Obviously, there's benefits to using a Pim generally. Um, but equally good practice um, to take something like this out of um, the platform when you've got a catalog like yours. Um, how are you using Aquino at the moment? And how, and I know you said, you know, you want to get a lot more out of it in the future. And, you know, you've obviously got a small team and there's work to do there. Like talk to us about why you decided to go with an external PIM and, and what the plan is there. Yeah. So rightly said, um, we use it, uh, Aquino. We've actually previously been using Akinio Community for a long time, hosted on-premise. Um, they don't offer that on-premise option anymore. Uh, so it's all it's somewhat similar sort of progress, actually, to Magento in terms of it's going to a SaaS-hosted model. Um, we are currently migrating over to the cloud. We are, we are not there at the moment. But to answer your questions around the motivation, um, product data is, is obviously critical for e-commerce. Uh, it's an area we're lacking in, uh, being completely candid. Um, and we've got a lot of work there to do. And part of moving to Akinio Cloud and connecting it properly to Magento is really going to up our game. Um, but for us, we've got a big catalog. Um, technology products have a huge number of specs, for example, to go with it. 
uh, and all sorts of information. So for us to really offer um, a really good shopping experience, we need good product information. And, you know, Magento is is not a best-in-breed PIM, let's face it. So it's kind of been a no-brainer for us to use an external PIM. Um, also, some advantages are we can do things like connecting external data sources to uh, PIM to help us enrich it so we don't have to build a huge product team. Um, again, product project even ongoing, um, but hopefully we'll get there and it, it will really yield a lot of results, I think. Um, just quickly could you give an example of like an external data set that you've identified specific to your need that will help that enrichment yeah so there's a couple of companies um icecat is a source we're not using but they're big in the consumer electronics space um one that we are going to start working with very shortly is called one world sync they actually just changed their name from cnet content solutions i believe um and then they've been acquired they're now called one world sync content syndication i think so they have a native in, uh, integration into Akinio, which is great. Again, less software for us to have to build uh, and less integrating to do. Um, one of the slight worries about using product data sources is, you know, things like SEO and, and duplicate content. Well, what if we're all using the same product data? Um, that is a you know challenge we have to overcome. Um, but if a camera is is black um, and it's sold on many websites. Uh, you know, we all need that one attribute and, and it's not subjective. It is, it's a fact. So that can be syndicated out. So for us, it, it's about using Akinio to help us store that data, um, be able to push that to Magento um, to be able to push that onto the website um, and then creating a good experience for our internal teams to manage the data. That makes sense. And um, I guess on the same principle in terms of kind of, um, I guess separating uh, systems out um, from a kind of like yeah best in class kind of composable route. Um, you've talked about going headless. Uh, what is the driver behind that, and what is your plan now? What what stack do you plan to use? Yeah, like how, what's the goal there? Yeah, so almost from day one, I've known we want to go headless. Um, my development experience prior to that has always been very service orientated in banking and, and in other e-commerce projects. Um, so for me, headless was an obvious one. You rightly say there is some, some really great benefits from it. Uh, so for example, you can start to decouple that front end from any specific e-commerce engine or any of the other services. And the approach that I've very much taken is let's find best in breed services for each of the components we need. So Commerce is obviously Magento for us. We brought in a CMS called Storyblock, um, but there's other ones, Contentful, a uh, long list of them, they're all popping up in the same time. Um, and we, we've got, uh, what's some other ones? Um, Algolia for search and recommendations. We work with Revu on reviews, Signified on fraud, um, and calculates on shipping. Uh, and really the idea here of going headless is going, let's build a new application. We call it Elvis, because our presentation layer, Elvis Presently. Uh, and, and what Elvis is about is being a React app built on uh, another framework called Next.js to give us a load of really cool benefits like server-side rendering, image optimization, um, built by an awesome company with Versil. Uh, and then, we just start to use each of these services for their specific parts of the website. 
Uh, and naturally, you just get a lot of developer productivity improvement out of it because now when you want to make a little change to a button, you don't have to redeploy Magento and, and start building the PHP app. You can just go, okay, well, let's push up a code change for just this one part of the system. Uh, again, you just naturally get ven less vendor lock-in. Um, again, when those partners, uh, those services that we've selected, all great select, all great uh, services, I, I don't see us needing to change them in the short term. Uh, but definitely, we have that ability to um, separate it out within that code base. So we could plug and play with a different CMS or a different commerce engine if we need to in the future. Um, and then... And naturally, with headless, I think there's just been so much development in this space, uh, so many improvements to the paradigm, the technologies, the services, just a lot of brain power, I think, has gone into this, this type of model now. Um, there's just some really awesome features out there. You know, for example, I just mentioned server-side rendering really solves a load of problems around SEO. Image optimization, getting those um, page insight scores or Lighthouse scores up uh, for Google. Um, Things like image optimization come out of the out of the box where you can uh, start just sending the specific type of image size um, because Next will cut up all those images, host them in the CDN, and then deliver the right thing. Um, another really cool benefit um, of Next, which has gone out of my head, no, here it is, um, is we're combining. Uh, they call it like hybrid. So, for example, when we build our website. Things like our About Us page don't change uh, very often anyway. So in our CMS, we don't really need to be calling that data from that database every page load of, of About Us. So Next.js allows you to do things like statically building your website for some parts and then dynamically fetching data for other parts. So for example, our About Us page is statically built and we might build that site every deployment that might be once a day or once a week. And then that's just served as HTML to the client. So it's super fast, like very, very rapid, straight out of the CDN, doesn't touch a database or an application layer. Versus our product pages are, are going to Magento, going, what's the title? What's the image? You know, what's the price stock level? And you get this really cool combination of, of like a hybrid static versus dynamic single page application. Um, and we've just you know, we've just seen that it, it can create some really, really fast and interesting experiences if you can nail that. So it, it's set up as an SPA at the moment, is it? As a... Not at the moment. So oh, okay. Elvis is not quite live yet. Um, yeah. We're still using that monolithic Magento theme. Um, and this has been the bane of my life for the last eight months. Um, so it's coming. <laughs> and it's coming soon. Coming soon. So it's not it's front near you. <laughs> that's interesting. What made you go... Because you referenced PWA before, and you can have an SPA that's not PWA. But um, be let's demystify this for people. So, what what what's the attraction of the SPA route? Because one of the challenges um, with SPAs and JavaScript is the initial load can be heavier, but then the subsequent experience is so lightning fast because it's all preloaded. So, what what was the attraction of an SPA approach for you? So, I think um, I think. The way I think about it is really making that front end layer a separate application and a separate code base. And because of that, it, it you know it needs to be its own application that sends its JavaScript to the browser and it renders. To reference your specific challenge there around like long lead times, uh, load times, 
for the initial pay. Actually, you know, there has been so many improvements here. So I really recommend people go look at things like Nuxt or Next.js or there's tons of these frameworks out. They really address a lot of those problems. So for us, server-side rendering solves that exact thing that you say. The actual compilation is done on the server, yet we still get the benefits of um, JavaScript and React. So uh, to answer your question, ultimately, it's all about creating a better experience for our customers, but also a better experience for ourselves when developing um, so that we can really push it ahead and start offering unique features that other retailers aren't. Um, and, and to do that, really, uh, the headless and React is the way that we can achieve that, basically. Cool, thanks. Um, and you, because we talked about you take some stuff out of the platform, you, you try and keep it to the core. Um, so obviously there's advantages and not high, overly customized stuff. But you stuck with native Magento checkout. I'd love to hear, like, what made you do that? Because checkout's one of those areas that can go completely wrong. <laughs> um, is that the reason? Is it just peace of mind of knowing that, that that you haven't messed with the checkout? Yeah, it's part that. And the other part is integration. So the way I think about checkout is really it should be commodity, should be as familiar to people as any other website. If anything, we should have one set of best practices that globally all e-commerce websites you know, use. Should I don't really see any reason why we should be innovating around the checkout except making it very quick and very familiar. So for us, you know, by taking just a Magento native checkout, hopefully Magento, I think they have some improvements to make around checkout, um, but hopefully that is going to come over the next sort of couple of quarters. And then we'll just automatically benefit from that as we do a version update. The second part is uh, the integration. So things like payment gateway, fraud, shipping options, all these kind of areas. Um, we really don't want to be building that customly ourselves. It, it really makes no sense. It's not a competitive advantage to us. So therefore, by just being able to plug in an extension, um, we're off. And uh, the reality is most gateways, most providers that we talk to uh, have a Magento extension straight away. So it really saves a lot of time and effort there. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Signify because we talked about a few third parties. And a, a lot of people think don't don't grasp what the benefit of a specific fraud management is versus we've got a modern gateway that's PSD2 compliant and does SCA, et cetera. What, what is the added value to you of having a specific fraud management tool alongside your standard payment gateway? Yeah, so I think my experience has been payment gateways are not enough. They don't do a good enough job around fraud management for one. So it was basically very obvious to me straight away that we need to do something. As you say, PSD2 and, you know, uh, the SCA and all this stuff is going to start to, I think, maybe slightly diminish the need for a separate tool just because naturally the security is more hardened. But the core pitch of a signified is we're going to help you generate more revenue by allowing more orders through. So signified was one enabled us to outsource fraud and i just got to say on day one fraud is not my problem if there is any fraud signified will pay out for it so it meant we were able to grow really fast um, and really just throw everything at it because i think something that's underappreciated is that um e-commerce is a there is risk every time you make an order yeah. because that risk is is not very visible and it's not very well publicized but it is there because the customer who's paid on a card 
can raise a charge back up to like 90 days or 180 or whatever it is. It's a long time. And if we sell a million pounds worth of stuff in a month, I'm on the hook for that million pounds up. Well, obviously not all of it's going to be fraud. I hope, well, I hope not. Um, we, you're on the hook for that for a long period of time. So if you overtrade, you could leave yourself exposed. So Signified allowed us to just not think about it. And it's definitely enabled us to grow. Um, I think it is going to change sort of referencing your points going forward. Um, but I like to at least sort of turn the fraud management off as best I can on the gateways and then leave signified to make those optimization decisions. And what, what impact is it? Yeah, I've spoken to the guys signified a lot. They uh, really like what they say because they, it's not just about fraud, it's about acceptance rates, like you said. What impact have you seen that? Because for me, the, the best business case of this is the increased acceptance rates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we basically turned Signified on from pretty much day one. So I never got to see, like, whenever they come to me and they say, hey, Ollie, like, let's do a case study together. And they go, so what was the uplift? I go, well, we kind of used you from day one. So I don't know. I don't have any reference for okay, it. Fair enough. But my understanding, you know, my belief at least is that, you know, it's done well for us. And we're at like, you know, 90 plus percent, 98 or 97% acceptance, which is, you know, if when I look at some orders, I had this one example, like quite early on, where we had someone from Saudi Arabia in Riyadh ordering audio cables, delivering to Knightsbridge. If you, if I'd looked at that, I would have said, no way is that a legit order. It's just no way. That customer has turned out to be one of our highest value VIP customers because, you know, that whoever this person is, is not very price sensitive and, and is ordering and loves audio. Yeah. You know, Saudi Arabia Nights, Saudi Arabia Nightsbridge, that's part of the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't look into my customers like that, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but signified the, the the moral of that story is that signified accepted that first order, uh, flagged it a little bit, uh, a little bit orange, but because it was a low enough threshold, they're okay with it. And then that order is just the, the orders have just kept coming, and now you know it, it, they've got a great track record, and now uh, signified will let it through. But I would have never even given it a chance, probably from day one. Makes sense. Um, to my last question, uh, before James asks the final question, um, obviously we talked about some of the kind of practices you followed Magento and your kind of general approach and how, you know, you've avoided customization and you've ended up in, you know, a pretty good position in terms of like agility and ability to kind of, you know, release new features quickly and everything else. Um, what advice do you have for other people on Magento that have maybe gone through, a slightly different experience and maybe you know not they're not in the kind of position you're in with the platform it's a good question um i mean i take a very uh, a very pragmatic approach to this stuff I, I i really don't believe for the most part that you know whether you pick magento whether you pick shopify whether you put big comma it's not going to be the make or break, you know, to your business. I, I, I don't believe that. So I do think, you know, whether you have problems with your platform, yeah, maybe maybe you would like to move a bit quicker. But I do think I, I would like to see examples where that's really holding you back. So for us, I as I said earlier, I really focused on what are our competitive advantages for us, the website and the technology was. That was why we went the, the Magento route. Um, 
if you're a, you know, a D2C site and you've got a small selection of products, it, it's, it's probably not the right selection for you or the right platform for you. My view would, my advice would very much be take stock, look at it. You don't need every software platform under the sun, no matter what the vendor tells you, it will not solve all your problems. And switching on recommendations or this new CRM tool is not going to change your life, I don't think. Well, it might do, but I don't think it is. Um, so my view would be look at everything Try and see where can you make the most impact. You know, if if your web platform is is really struggling, maybe you can swap it out. Maybe you can start making small tweaks, such as moving towards a headless approach, and then you start having less reliance on this single thing that's causing you problems. So, be it your your commerce product, um, if you can slowly slowly divest your reliance on that, I think you'll put yourself in a much better position. I think I was fortunate in that I have a technology background. I was able to always consider what my get-out plan was. I, I definitely take a bit of a pessimistic view as to whenever any software vendor tells me, tries to sell me some magic, I, I, I'm always thinking, well, I'll give it a go, but what's my get-out plan? Um, <laughs> and yes, we probably are quite reliant on Magento today, but that's actually going to start to diffuse over time. Um, and then we're going to really own our own destiny, I think, around where we go and my advice would be think about the longer term plan how you can get to that position as opposed to oh there's an this, this you know this glitzy new thing over here this new platform that's just come out that apparently is amazing I, I i would really call them out on that and start to look at is it really well with what you've got like how can you change that how can you get into a better position it's probably not that much better um but that does take a little bit of time and, and you've got to really, really understand where your competitive advantages come from. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to, to close out and frame this this episode is you know, our whole approach we set all the time is no platform is 100% perfect, but knowing what your selection criteria are and what your yeah the competitive advantages you can get from a platform and choosing accordingly and appreciating it's not going to be a perfect fit is really important. Um I really enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share insights. And I think our audience have got a lot from this and uh, learning about how you've taken on the brand and how you've changed it, it from a technical point of view. Um, so thanks for taking the time. No problem. Um, and a big thanks, as, as always, to everyone who's listened in. Uh, keep an ear out for next uh, episodes and let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to feature. But do tell us why so we understand what, what you're interested in. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do, or give us a rating on Apple, Spotify. It helps cheer us up every day to see people liking what we're doing. Uh, take care and have a nice day. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.